What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the first episode of Sparks at a Night podcast. My name is Bryce Duell, and I'm here with my lifelong friend and co-host, Matthew Hillocks. Anything in life worthwhile really comes with a process involved. And the premise of our podcast is bringing people from multiple facets of life, from different stages, places, and so forth, and listening to their process and what they have or are enduring that got them to where they are today. As two young entrepreneurs who are upcoming real estate investors in our late teens, we go through this process every day. We're learning how to trust it, uh, especially with college has been trying. And it's the everyday grind, and even though it's trying, it's what makes it all worthwhile in the end. Not only will we be interviewing a wide array of people, we'll have a slight focus on entrepreneurship and real estate investing as we continue our journey and further our process. I hope you guys are as excited as we are for the first episode really related to be honest um, for today's episode we're having none other than Hakeem Vallis. Hakeem is a retired NFL tight end keynote speaker real estate investor and above all that he's a father to a 10 month old little girl welcome Hakeem how are you hey thanks guys I appreciate you guys for having me on the show today so Hakeem uh, to get us started kind of you go you went to a great high school in the petty school um played football at Monmouth University and also played in the NFL can you can you kind of speak on some of the accomplishments you have uh, and what what kind of what did it take from your perspective to get to where you are today? I think what has helped the most is is being very self-aware and, and being very practical throughout the journey, meaning balancing the lows, balancing the highs, staying in the clouds and staying in the dirt. Clouds meaning having big dreams, having big aspirations and things like that but being in the dirt, getting gritty and actually making things happen and making, making, doing the day-to-day actions that are going to lead to that level of success. Um, one good quote that I've heard um, recently from a, uh, a mentor of mine, Gary Vaynerchuk, is micro speed and macro patience, meaning on the day-to-day, ripping and running, making your phone calls, getting your training in, doing what you got to do, making it happen very fast and very efficiently and not wasting time with BS and minuscule things, but and the macro being extremely, extremely patient because, you know, what you see today, me personally, is the product of years and years and years of hard work it took me 26 years to be an overnight success. So Hakeem, you were saying like it, it took a long time for you to really become an overnight success. And I just want to like know when, when do you start your entrepreneurship journey? I've been an entrepreneur since I was in fifth grade. Um, you know, back in fifth grade, I used to cut grass. Um, I used to put ads up on Craigslist. And my older brother would drive me to different neighborhoods and I would cut grass I can't believe some of the people would even let me cut their grass. I was a young <laughs> 11, 12-year-old cutting people's grass. And then when I went to middle school, I used to sell Skittles. Uh, my mom used to go to Sam's Club, and she used to buy the 36-pack of Wildberry Purple Skittles. And I they, they cost $13, and I would sell them for a dollar a bag, and I'd make $23 her box of Skittles. I used to go to school every day with two backpacks on. One backpack had my books in it and the other backpack had Skittles in it. Um, and it was it was an amazing experience. Got to be really exposed to entrepreneurship at a young age. I mean, that's how I bought my first or my second cell phone was the, the white LG chocolate. 
And after <clears throat> after high school, going into college that summer, my little brother Max and your cousin Bryce Max had broke mm. his iPhone four for about the tenth time. Mm. And my dad said he wasn't going to fix his phone anymore. So I said, let me check it out. And I went to Amazon and bought a screen for $25 and went to YouTube and watched a video on how to repair an iPhone. And it took me about six hours. But after putting it apart, taking it apart, putting the new screen on and putting it back together, after put, pressing that lock button, it worked. And I was, it was, it was a, a light bulb went off in my head and I took out my phone and took it apart, put it back together over and over and over and over again until I could do it in 20 minutes. And when I stepped on campus as a freshman at Monmouth University, I was the iPhone repair guy. And then as the iPhone repair guy, I used to take my cracked screens that I just got done fixing. I would take those screens and sell it to this recycle company in Alabama. Um, they would buy my cracked screens for $5 a screen. And then I went to the different iPhone repair shops in the Monmouth County area and buy their screens from them for $2.50 a screen, go back to my room and go box up all their screens and sell it to that company in Alabama for 5 bucks a screen and just flip it and flip it and flip it. Wow. <clears throat> um, and then as I got to college, um, I flipped almost 10 houses in North Jersey while playing at Monmouth University. My ex's dad was a house flipper, and he took me under his wing, and <clears throat> we flipped a bunch of houses. <clears throat> and it was an amazing experience. And, you know, moving forward, as I went to the NFL, I bought properties in the cities that I played in. And now, currently, I'm doing the same exact thing. Like you were just saying, you were a young kid on the neighborhood grind almost, and I just want to know, uh, when was your worth ethic instilled to the point where you held yourself accountable for your own actions? That started in middle school when the school I went to, Winslow Township Middle School, they cut sports. Um, back then, I wanted to go to the NBA and play basketball. And if they didn't have sports, I didn't know when I was going to be able to train and when I was going to be able to practice. So I used to have my dad take me to LA Fitness um, at about 4.30 every morning. My dad made a promise with me that he'd never wake me up. And the only way he'd take me is if I woke him up and then he'd take me every single day. So, I mean, every morning I set my alarm at 4.30 and we'd go to LA Fitness and get it in. Wow, that is actually real commitment from, from somebody at a, at a middle school age. That, that's actually crazy. Um, with that work ethic, it's really no surprise you made it all the way to NFL. Um, how would you kind of describe your time in the league, though? It was more... Uh, back to just balancing the highs and the lows, it was it was awesome. You know, being in the NFL, people start to tend to treat you and look at you different um, in that sense. But it was, you know, still obviously a grind and it, a massive, massive toll on your time and some of your relationships with different people. But it was it was an amazing experience. I learned a lot. I got to meet a lot of people. I got to, you know, put some decent cash in my pocket at a young age and get a nice head start, especially with uh, real estate and things like that and being able to sustain and live on my own 
without any assistance or help from my parents or things like that. But it was ultimately a stepping stone, stepping stool for to get me to where I where I am today. Hakeem, you just said that the NFL was really a stepping stone for where you ended up today. And could you tell us if you started investing while you were in the NFL with the decent cash flow that you were getting from being a pro athlete? Yeah, when I was a rookie in the NFL, I brought I bought a four unit apartment building using an FHA loan, putting as little as three and a half percent down on it. And it was an awesome experience and it was different than what all my other teammates were doing. You know, buying nice houses, nice apartments in Scottsdale and Paradise Valley. And I was living in a unit of my four unit apartment building in North Phoenix, living in not the best neighborhood, had a section eight tenant living below me and just ripping and running and making things like that happen. I mean, when my first season ended, I put a post on the site called Bigger Pockets. You know, off season is supposed to be a fun time for everyone. And they go out, go party, go city to city and things like that. January 1st, I made a post on Bigger Pockets introducing myself to Phoenix and Tempe to all the other real estate investors on the forums. And I probably got 30 to 50 replies from different investors. And what I did was every day was take a different investor out to lunch and pick their brain on how they run their real estate business, what their thought was on the market and different looming market corrections, what their investment strategy was. And if I was lucky, they'd take me on a tour of some of their properties and projects that they were working on. As you just told me and Bryce that story and our viewers, uh, the quote, history repeats itself, came back into my head. And I just wanted to ask you for me and Bryce, since we're becoming investors ourselves, uh, when did you strike your first deal and how many have you closed out since that day? I mean, that first deal was that fourplex in Arizona. Um, it's a four-unit apartment building. And after that, I bought a duplex in Detroit. Um, lived in one side, airbnb upstairs, and it covered our mortgage, so we lived for free while I was playing with the Lions. And while I was in Michigan, I also bought... Um, land up in uh, central Michigan, um, which is uh, an investment towards the cannabis industry. And once I left the Lions, I went to the Giants and I retired once I finished with the Giants after about five weeks. And since then, I've, I bought a seven unit apartment building in Des Moines, Iowa. And I just put an offer in on an eight-unit apartment building in Fort Lauderdale. I'm sure being in the NFL, you didn't really have too much time to focus on investing because you had uh, practices, team meetings, family life. And I just want to know, how did you overcome that problem of time management? Uh, did you outsource property management? Like, was was that your best way to solve the issue? Yeah, we use third-party property management to uh, to manage the properties. I think that's the best option to go. I was saying, if you're managing the property yourself, it becomes more of a job than a business. Agreed. Like, what, what exactly got you going to that point where you are now? It was after my second deal um, in Detroit. 
And that off season, I went to look for properties, and I visited different markets, and I spent like three days in each market. So I went from Detroit to Phoenix to Vegas to Columbia, South Carolina to Indianapolis to St. Louis, back to Detroit, and it was you know it was it was amazing. Like I was I was on fire, market to market, meeting different property managers, brokers, investors, touring different properties. Um, and it was, I, I felt it and I knew that this is what I wanted to be doing. And, um, that's kind of when that, that fire was really lit and kind of the momentum really started. I put an offer in on a property, uh, wind up not closing on, um, we had issues with a dishonest seller. So we had to cancel the contract. So since that second deal, um, would you say your drive has uh, shifted at all? Um, would you would you say that that fire is still? Lit? Oh yeah, fire is. I mean, it's it's lit even more now that I have a child. <laughs> yeah, I could definitely see how having a child would would light a fire under you even even more. But uh, going back to that dishonest seller, um, would, you said you were on fire when that happened. So what what uh, what other roadblocks kind of have you had during this process? I mean, if any. Um, I'm gonna tell you, most of the roadblocks that really consisted with just football and not having time. Um, this time ultimately is the, the biggest asset, <clears throat> and not having a fluid schedule, like a concrete schedule, you can never schedule things um, because right. you never know what's coming up next with your off-season program. And that's kind of what got me every off-season is you know, I couldn't really do what I needed to do with real estate because of football essentially and um i mean that was probably the roughest part about it is is just time because you know unlike i wouldn't say like unlike most people because everybody's got a job everybody's got something else what they want what they're doing before they can actually start investing and things like that so it's kind of just a part of the process but it was was really just my time restriction was probably one of the biggest hurdles yeah speaking of the process um why are you on the road to the nfl like that that daily grind um that training did you plan on being a real estate investor wherever you ended up? Yeah, well, when I when I put my MBA on hold at Monmouth University um, and was training from January to April, I had an oh crap moment of if this football thing doesn't work out, then I'm going to be back home living at my parents' house. And that was when I made the decision that I'm going to be a real estate investor. And I really mm-hmm. started to double down on the audiobooks, on the podcast, and things like that. My commute to my training facility was about an hour and a half each way. So I had about three hours of driving every day and an hour for lunch. And within those four hours, I was consuming my face off with podcasts and audiobooks. And like I said, ultimately made the decision to decide whatever city that I get picked up to or drafted to, then that's where I'm going to start investing in real estate. Hakeem, after you struck your first deal, did your teammates start to follow your lead? Did they take notice and they began to invest themselves? Yeah, I'd say uh, not necessarily the big, big money guys, but the guys who were kind of in the same undrafted boat as me and you know had that chip on their shoulder. I, uh, I did wind up teaching a lot of them how to invest themselves, how to take advantage of that FHA loan. I mean, when I was in the Lions, um, used to have a couple of my teammates come over and my fiance would make dinner and dessert and we'd all sit and talk about business and entrepreneurship 
and I'd let them borrow different books from my library and things like that um, to really, really start to just break the cycle of most NFL players and things like that. Mm-hmm. And as you transition out of, out of the NFL, has that been has that been easy? Is that a, is it a joyful process? Is it, what has it been like? Uh, it's an enjoyable process. I mean, there's obviously hard times. There's beauty in the struggle. But it's been very enjoyable. It's been a smooth transition mm-hmm. because it's honestly just freed up time for me to do what I was already doing so I could do even more and double down on it. Yeah. And so it's been it's been really, really exciting. It's been different not having, you know, a system behind you or a system in place behind you, being on your own and being having to be accountable on your own and not you know, NFL, you don't show up to the gym, you get fined. Whereas if I don't show up to the gym, I just get fat. (laughs) Um, But it's been, it's been a process. With all the time that you gained after leaving the league, were you planning on purchasing properties where you were going to settle down and call home? Or did you want to go and expand your network even more and purchase properties across the nation? I wouldn't say as many as investments across the nation as possible. It's, very uh, targeted and specific and tactical. But yes, spreading my network, spreading my, diversifying my portfolio. Just closed on a seven-unit apartment in Des Moines, Iowa, and I'm about to put an offer in on a eight-unit apartment in Fort Lauderdale, so polar opposite places, but essentially across the country. But very tactical on my reasoning for the markets that I decide on and pick and things like that. So how many markets would you say you have your hand in right now that you're, that you're actively working in? One, two, uh, four that I'm actively working in and have projects in, but I'd say six to seven that I'm actively looking for things Mm -hmm. there. How much research do you have to do to find out which market is best for what you're looking for? It takes a lot. My my um, advice is to use the Bureau of Labor Statistics and the Census website. They have a lot of aggregated data from the years, the previous decade census, and. I thought that those sites were very, it was a lot of information. It's pretty hard to sort it. So I hired someone from Upwork.com, a demographer, to skim through the data and the filters and break it down into the filters that I wanted it to be. And after breaking down those filters and getting all those different markets across the country of job growth, population growth, I then made a call to the Economic Development Committee and the Chamber of Commerce in those markets and ask them questions like, you know, I see you have an upward trend of job growth, but what actions do you have in place to continue it? Or how many permits do you guys have up for construction? Or how many, what type of incentives do you guys offer big businesses to move here? And things like that can really, really help you decide with data supporting your decision on what markets you want to invest in. So switching topics really quickly, um, my dad has always told me uh, you're a product of the books you read and the people you surround yourself with. So what would you kind of say your, your favorite books are? What, what books really helped you out along the way? 
Oh, I think some books that have been pivotal for me. Um, I really, really like the book, The Go Giver. It's a really good book. Mm. Um, Who's that? Bob Bird talks about talks about giving and what giving means and how to give without the ex- without the expectations of receiving anything in return and what giving can do for you in your life. Um. But I think that's one of the best business books out there. Um, there's a book called Ego is the Enemy. Um, it's by a guy named Ryan Holiday. Um, he's a Stoic. Um, so he kind of has a lot of Stoic philosophies within his book. But mm-hmm. he has an, it's an amazing, amazing book. Really challenges you. It's actually some, it's kind of painful to read because it's hitting some of those spots that you don't necessarily want to talk about that you know you have those flaws in those different areas and it's really kind of rips the band-aids off of some scabs you got um but it's a really good book and then there's a book called crushing it by gary vaynerchuk um i think that's probably one of the best books for aspiring entrepreneurs of this generation um i don't think everybody's cut out to be an entrepreneur but i think that book is really figure out what your calling is whether you're an entrepreneur that's making a million dollars because not everybody's going to make a million dollars or an entrepreneur that makes $80,000 and is still happy every day um but mm-hmm. doing something that they love doing um, i think that's a great great book that really really can open up your mind to start thinking on the outside outside of outside the lines and outside of the box because a lot of people are stuck in a box and a box mentality and because of their daily rituals and habits it's hard for them to even creatively think anymore because of what they're consuming on a daily basis. Um, going off of that, how would you say your circle has changed over time? And um, not not only your circle changing, but how would you say you kind of utilized your, your network? As far as network, I think your network ultimately defines your net worth. And I think your network is two things. It can be something that you can be tactical about and forcefully surround yourself with the right people that you want to be like. But then you also have to be self-aware to make sure that you know that those people actually want to be around you. Um, and, you know, I think you become the product of the five people you hang around with. So you hang around five millionaires, you'll probably be the sixth millionaire. You hang around, you know, five drug dealers, you'll probably be the sixth one too. So I think uh, your network is critical and it's important. I think people who are stuck and in a rut or people who are trying to start a business and can't seem to figure out how to get it started. I think they need to ultimately change who they're surrounding themselves with and like what they're consuming daily. If your mom and your best friend are the most pessimistic people in the world, then maybe you need to not hang out with them for 12 hours a week and bring it down to two hours a week mm-hmm. because that's what's ultimately going to stop you from getting to the finish line. Yeah, I mean, as far as your network being your net worth, uh, I've always heard that if you're the smartest person in your circle, you're in the wrong circle. And it's like, I can I can definitely see that it's a microcosm of your life. Um, it seems that you're basically, you're already in control of your own destiny at 26 years old. And that is, that's not something a lot of people can say at all. 100%. People complain all the time, but it's all up to you, you know, on essentially changing that because mm-hmm. you, you, you have the power to do that ultimately definitely going back to ego is the enemy um i just began reading it this week and I'm, I'm not even fully through and it's already kind of made me become a student of life really 
there, there's a lot of stuff that you would think are everyday things that, that are really broken down. Yeah, they really break it down, right? Yeah. Make you think, make you think a whole other level. On different yeah, things. definitely. I, mean, I can see why it's one of your favorites because it, it, it's quickly become one of mine as well. Just to round back to what we were talking about earlier when you said that your network is ultimately your net worth, I just really wanted to understand whether or not your network was changing naturally for you or you went and unfortunately had to cut ties um i think it's more like i mean when i was even in the nfl like i didn't necessarily hang out with nfl players all day like a lot of guys get too comfortable in that own comfort zone like you go to a college campus the football players hang out with the football players basketball basketball and everybody else kind of hangs out with each other me i like like bryce just said i now, I wouldn't say I forced it, but I made sure that I was surrounding myself with the people that I wanted to be like. I didn't necessarily want to be like my teammates. I didn't want to be like Larry Fitzgerald. I didn't want to be, you know what I'm saying? I want to be like, I wanted to be like me. Uh, and right. I, like, I wanted to learn from different investors so I could get to that, you know, essential, you know, that level. Because like you said, it's about the network. Like one thing they're not going to teach you in college, I know you guys are both in college, is yeah, college is supposed to set you up for jobs, but they don't tell you that you actually need a network and stuff like that to actually get those jobs mm-hmm. and a brand to actually get those jobs. You know what I'm saying? Like 2019, you can get a job by off of a DM nowadays. You don't even need a resume. Mm-hmm. Right. So how, how much longer can you see yourself in the investing business? In the investment business? Oh, for life. Mm-hmm. Right now I'm at a place that um you know, placing capital in different markets and in different properties and um, at a small, you know, might not be owning in terms of equity 100% of every project that I'm working on, uh, but a small percentage. But, you know, I see myself as I get older, probably taking my wealth and whether it's expanding it into different investments that have to do more along the impact lines or just being more of a, in the venture capital world, of doing it myself instead of you know working for a venture capital you know firm actually being the capital and investing in different companies and different ideas and things like that as i get older and then being kind of a almost like a mentor to those companies as i you know invest my capital into it so to wrap everything up um, what's one thing you want our viewers to take away from today's episode um just be self-aware not everybody is an entrepreneur. You know, today is the age of the entrepreneur. Like everybody wants to be an entrepreneur, put it in their social media profile. Um, just be self-aware. Like, don't do it because you're mm-hmm. pandering to other people, and because you want to be like other people, and you want to, you know, seem cool because it's the new in or to keep up with the Joneses. Like, mm-hmm. you, if you're an entrepreneur, you'll know you're an entrepreneur. Like, start with something small. Try and flip something. Go to the local yard sale and flip it on eBay. Go to TJ Maxx or Marshalls, buy something, buy a pair of cleats at discount for $5 and sell it on eBay for 40 bucks. If you can't do that, then you're not an entrepreneur. Like, that should just be an ultimate test. Yep. And if you can and you're resourceful and you don't need any, any further direction than what I just said, then you're an entrepreneur. Yeah. You should have yep. no questions. Literally go to Google and figure it out. And like that's all. Like if you can't be resourceful enough to figure it out from there, then 
maybe you're supposed to be an employee. Maybe you're supposed to be a number two or a CFO at a large Fortune 500 company and still make a half a million dollars a year. Maybe that's for you. Yep. It's just maybe you're not an entrepreneur. Hakeem, uh, I just want to thank you again for being on the show. Um, it was great conversation. I love talking to you. Um, I've been looking up to you since the playground days, kind of, and it's uh, it's great to see where you're at today. Um, picking your brain was was awesome. Um, really appreciate having you on the show. I appreciate you guys for having me on the show. As long as you guys keep sticking the course, and you guys are on something big here, and um, I'm excited to see you guys' growth. Appreciate it, Hakeem. Thanks. No problem. Once again, we'd like to thank Hakeem for joining us today, as well as everyone for tuning into the show. Uh, we hope that this was a, as enjoyable a listen for you as it was for us to make it. And uh, make sure that you go ahead and subscribe to us and look out for our releases every Thursday.